Today, I want to share a few thoughts with you that I've been having. And, you know, I'll just shoot straight with you. Probably not the best uh, formulated thoughts, and, but I'm just going to sling it at you like I got it. And, uh, and so I would just encourage you guys to do this. It's, um, it probably isn't going to be some of the easiest stuff to hear. Uh, but sometimes I think that it's great to be encouraged. And then there's other times it's really good to let God evaluate our hearts. And uh, today uh, is one of those days we want God just kind of evaluate what's in us. And, you know, that's a good thing. Yes, it's not a bad thing. It's not to be scared of. And uh, because God always does that stuff for our benefits. Now, listen, today I realize uh, that this may be for one person um, or it could be for a lot of people. And, and I would just encourage you to kind of two things today. Uh, receive it with grace. Because I could run different, about 100 different angles off the things I'm going to say to you today. So don't hear it just as that this is the whole gospel. Hear it as it, that's a piece of the gospel. Y'all get what I mean by that? And, and also, I would just encourage you that if there's uh, you know, any walls up, anything like that, just put it down and just open your heart up to the Spirit of God and say, Holy Ghost, talk to me. Yeah? Is that okay? It's kind of my, my misnomer. Jen told me last night that it was a little tough. So I'm just trying to help prepare you here to, to comfort you and hold you before we get rolling. All right. So are y'all all right? Every, every Saturday night I, I go over kind of what I'm going to preach and she, she brings balance to it. I love my wife. She's a, uh, she don't contradict me. She compliments me. So it's really good. So, um, if you're taking notes, you can write this down as the title and then we'll pray. The title is simply this. This is a test. This is only a test. Jim made that up too. It was better than mine. This is only a test. I told her my title, and she, and she basically gave me one of those. <laughs> awesome. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Lord, we know that you're alive and you're powerful. Uh, Lord, we know that you're still moving, God, not only in the earth, but also in our lives. Uh, God, we thank you that the Holy Ghost desires to bring us closer to you. And so, Lord, today, uh, we just open our hearts up wide. And, God, whatever you desire to say to us, we just say uh, that we're listening. God, we, that we literally just make a choice today to lay down every wall, to take off every mask. Uh, God, to, we, we just choose today not to ignore, not to brush off. Uh, but, Lord, we just say, God, let the target uh, be really big in our heart. And, Lord, we pray that you'd hit bullseye today of what's in us. And, Lord, just help us not to run from it, uh, but, God, help us just to own our piece of it, uh, but also to hear it with grace and understand that you love us. And uh, so, Lord, thank you for your presence. Holy Ghost, thank you for coming and teaching and doing what you do best. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Listen, I, uh, I recently read a story uh, about a family that was basically sitting around a table and they were enjoying a meal together. And, and as they were sitting there, the father looked at his four sons and he, and he made this statement. He said, guys, you can't do anything to make your mother or me love you any more than we already love you. And conversely, you can't do a thing to make your mother and me love you any less than we love you. Now, how many of you guys know if you're sitting there and your parents tell you that, it's going to really make you feel very secure about their love for you. Uh, But then their father made this statement, and it kind of caught him off guard. He said this. He said, however, boys, you are in charge of how pleased your mom and I are with you. We'll say that again. However, boys, you are in charge of how pleased your mom and I are with you. And obviously their smiles went from this, uh, you know, from, from this joyful thing to immediately it was replaced by a much more sober expression uh, because they realized that their parents' pleasure in them was not unconditional like their love for them, uh, but they recognized that when it was, that basically their pleasure there uh, was literally based off their behavior. 
Makes sense. It was based off the kids' behavior. They, in other words, they understood this, that, that they were in control, that they were in charge of the outcome of their, uh, their parents' pleasure in them. Now, I, I believe just as parents in here, uh, you know, all of us get the unconditional peace, right? If you've ever had a kid, uh, instantaneously that thing comes out looking all busted and ugly, right? Boy or girl, is that... All you mamas are like, no, no, I'm telling you the truth, okay? So um, I've had four. I know how they come out. It's ugly. So anyways, um, but, but what's so amazing, and even in that moment, there's an instantaneous love for them, and that's not just some love that feels good. It's not a, you know, it is an unconditional love. But we all know as our children grow, uh, man, there's things that they do sometimes that don't please us. Is that true? Now, now, obviously, in those moments, it doesn't mean that our love wavers for them. It just means that we're not really pleased with their behavior at that moment. Can I get an amen? So, listen, the kind of the point, the question I want to kind of start on today is this. Is the same not true about our relationship with God? Absolutely, that's the truth. Listen, the Bible makes it really clear that we can't do anything to make God love us any more, and we can't do anything to make God love us any less. That's why it's called an unconditional love, meaning that God the Father has not put any conditions on that love. Are you thankful for that? I certainly am. But watch this. But how pleased He is with us, that's a different story altogether. Uh, the reason is, is because we have a say-so that we're, we're literally ultimately in charge. We're responsible for the outcome in that area. If I can maybe say it to you this way, that our behavior ultimately determines if God is pleased with us or not. Y'all all right? Now, listen, I think this is really hard for a lot of, a lot of people to swallow, especially American Christians, if I could be honest. Uh, because in recent years, obviously one of the main subjects that we constantly hear about being preached, and obviously I've preached on it, is, is the, the unconditional love of God. A lot of songs that we sing, we even sang one this morning, is about the unconditional love of God. And, and so, but, you know, I I'm, I'm, will be the first to wave the banner to say, man, I think that's something that needs to be taught. It needs to be something to sing about. It, it's a needed revelation in the body of Christ, especially with how a lot of us uh, were raised. You know, one of the biggest things that comes out of that is we find out that God the Father isn't like our earthly father aren't you thankful for that amen and uh so so it's a needed revelation uh but however i want to say it this way that many people have subconsciously concluded that since god loves them he is also pleased with them and that simply isn't true in all cases are you with me so understand the prefaces, prefaces, prefaces of why I'm saying this today. That's still in the right word. But, but the reason I want to say this today is because I know we're a people that desire to please God. That's our hearts, right? For all of us. In this place, man, we want to love God with, our, uh, with all of our hearts. We want to please Him. We want to honor Him. So, so understand it from that connection today, okay, please. Uh, let me show you a verse here. And this probably isn't the best verse that I can share on this. But it's the one that I gravitated toward while I was studying this. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, 9. It says this. It says, yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. In other words, when we die, we go to heaven. Amen. All right? (laughs) Simple verse. Verse 9 is where we want to go. It says, so whether we are here in this body, meaning alive, or away from this body, dead, our goal is to please him. Somebody say goal. Now, look, I'm a pretty simple fellow, but I think if, if God's pleasure was automatic, then the Apostle Paul would have never said, uh, said that it was his goal or it was something that he was aiming at. It's really that simple, right? And, and in fact, if you, if you read the next verse there, we read it actually in our last series, it goes right from that about living a life that's pleasing to him to go and we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And then we're, and then we're giving account for our behavior, for the things that we've done in the flesh. 
Okay, so, so if you can kind of maybe think about it this way, as the Apostle Paul is talking, it's this. Um, and I don't like the word I'm going to use, but, but why would you strive? I don't like that word, but it's the only way I can think of. But why would you strive for something if it was already accomplished? Am I making sense? In other words, if it was automatic, God's pleased with me no matter what I do, as a lot of Christians act like, yes, th- th- then why is it something that I need to uh, aim at or make it my goal? Are you all with me today? So let me tell you where this truth came in reality for me. I've shared this story with you before, probably several times, but I want to uh, share it again, maybe in a little different light. But when I was 19 years old, a lot of you guys know I only went to church a little bit as a kid. I didn't really grow up in church. But when I got saved at 19 years old, you know, I'd only been Christian a little over a year, and I made a decision, and I want to stress this. I made the decision with very, very, very little prayer to enter into a dating relationship with a young lady that was in our church. This relationship didn't last long. It was about seven months, if my memory's right, but it was seven months too long. Anybody ever been in one of those relationships? <laughs> so I'm the only one. Great. All right. So li- listen, but, y- you know, he- here's kind of the mindset that I walked into this relationship. I'm not blaming somebody else for it, but this is the mindset I had. Uh, I, I served under a pastor. He used to tell uh, a group of us young guys, he told me this on several occasions. He, he said, Quentin, if you ever find a girl that you can see yourself marrying, you, you, need, you need to start a relationship with her. Okay. Now, I might have understood that at a 30-year-old man much better than at 19 years old and, and freshly saved. Because when you're 19 years old and you're a young man and those hormones are going, right? Uh, there, there's a lot of girls you would marry. Right? I mean, listen, the, the, the boxes that need to be checked are pretty simple. She walks through the door. Number one, is she pretty? Check. Right? You got it. Uh, secondly, you walk over to her and you make a joke or you say something and you find out if she has a personality. Check. Thirdly, because, and I do mean in this order, you can judge me later, uh, is she saved? Right? That's last, right? You want to find, does she look good? Does she have personality? Then we'll check the condition of your soul. <laughs> Great order, right? Um, li- listen, when you're 19 years old, you, you, don't, you don't really care about what her doctrinal stance is on eschatology. See that girl. I wonder what her doctrinal sanctification is. You know, it, it just doesn't work that way, right? Maybe it did for you. Okay, all right. So, but, but listen, you know, at that time, at 19 years old, even though I was young and I didn't understand a lot of things, I mean, I was still in church doing things at the wrong time and all that. I just didn't have the church thing down. Still don't want to have the church thing down. Still don't, okay? But, but listen, I was, I was really serious about my relationship with God. So here I went, man, I was praying. I was fasting. Uh, you, you know, I was, I was studying and, and memorizing scripture. I was witnessing, you know. So from the outside of what everybody else saw, man, I was pretty on it. I wasn't perfect, but I was going after God. I mean, I was, I was really going after it. And so, so as you can kind of expect, I, I really couldn't figure out for all those months, man, man in my gut. You know what I'm talking about when I say your gut? I couldn't figure out my gut why I was extremely unsettled. I couldn't figure out why I never had any peace. It, it, it was like there was these little moments and little pockets of things, uh, you, you know, when I really wasn't thinking about her. Am I making sense to you today? So there's this peace there that, man, listen, I knew, I knew God loved me. But in my heart, I knew something was off. And like most people, not you people, but most people, um, you, know, you know, my immediate response, I'm figuring out today, it's never y'all. So, uh, but my immediate response was to try to reason away what I was feeling. Anybody ever been there? 
I try to reason away. You know, I, I kept telling myself this. Man, I'm spending all this time with God. Man, I'm in the Word. I, you know, I finally got good Christian friends, right? And, and not that old crowd I used to run with. And I used to think, man, well, people are getting saved. Man, when I, when I share the Bible or I pray for someone, man, good things are happening. And, and so, you, you know, it's kind of like this thought. Maybe this is something you've said. You, you know, well, I, well, I'm not the same person I used to be. Right? Well, I don't do this and I don't do that anymore. But, but what happened was, is after several months of trying to brush it off, try to ignore it, try to reason away, try to make excuses, to try to shake it off, that gnawing feeling. Uh, anybody ever act like that before? Yeah. L- listen, I-, I finally came to a moment of truth. There was a reckoning day. Right? And the moment of truth was simply this, is what was truth, I already knew it. I already knew the reason the entire time. I just didn't want to admit it. Because the truth is you can't spend that much time in prayer and that much time in the Word to not know it. Amen? You just can't. And so, you know, I finally realized, man, or finally was willing to admit it, the reason I'm so unsettled is because I'm in, I am in, get this, I am in direct obedience and having disobedience. I'm in direct, thank you, babe, disobedience and having that relationship with that young lady. And uh, the truth is, is I was ignoring God's voice because I wanted my will and not his will. Y'all have never been there either. But, but listen, if you can kind of grab a hold of this, that in spite of my 95% obedience in all those other areas, that 5% disobedience was having a negative effect on God's pleasure for my life. Am I making sense, you guys? And that, see, that feeling that I was feeling was really God's displeasure in my behavior and in my choices. And, you, you know, it's kind of like this. What I finally admitted was this, is that part of why it wasn't the will of God is because that's not what God had for me in that season. I had no business being in a relationship. I was in my second year of Bible school. And, if, you know, and, I, and I knew this all along, but because I was in a relationship that wasn't God, my focus was divided. Right. So in other words, I, I, my, if you compare my first year to my second year, my first year, they go, hey, let's memorize 400 scriptures. I'm just going to use what's popping my head, so I'm going to give it to you. 400 verses, okay, in the Bible, 400 verses. And that, and that on the, the uh, last week or the last two weeks of school, you had to sit down and you had to give it all. My first year, I made 100. I did not make 100 my second year. You know, when it came to our, our schoolwork, I was doing pretty good in my first year. Second year, I went back to old ways and did enough to get by, right? But, you know, I would go to prayer pretty fired up. Even though we're still fast praying and all that, I, I was still a little, uh, I was tired when we go to prayer. Are, are y'all following me? In other words, my, my focus just wasn't on point. And, and, so, and so God kind of knew all of that. Are y'all with me today? Let me give you something that I think is really important. And I do think this is for somebody, uh, obviously in a different view, different light, but just take it wherever it fits for you. Looking back on it, I think it was really interesting that I didn't have a single person that was questioning my decision to be in that relationship. It seemed like everyone was okay with it except God. Right? And, and I think sometimes that's part of our excuses and part of the way we deflect is, well, well they haven't said anything to me about it. Right? So, so, you know, understand a lot of times the way God deals with us. If somebody has to come and point something out to us, it's because we've already ignored him for a long period of time. And he's finally like, okay, will you, will you hear me now? Y'all follow me? That there's, there's come a point where he's spoken something to you along the way. And then he showed you something in his word. And then enough said enough. We got to deal with it. Are y'all following me? So, you know, here's kind of what's so cool about God, and this is where we got to learn to trust him better, is 
is the reason it displeased God wasn't because it was full of sin. Now hear me. It wasn't full of sin. It wasn't some ungodly relationship. But, but it was simply because of this. It's because God knew my heart. He knew her heart, her heart. And he knew what was 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years down the road. And, and, you know, and so sitting back years later, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Uh, I, I finally realized, I guess what, that... Um, that God really saved me from myself because if I look where she's at today, it is not where I am at today. And I'm not saying she's a bad person, but I'm saying that if I would have went with my will, I would not have ended up where I am today. Wouldn't happened. Wouldn't happen. In fact, I mean, number one thing, she's not even in a, a uh, she's not even in a ministry relationship. Are you follow me? So, you know, I'd like to tell all of you guys that um, because it has happened with me before. You know, you know when, you're, when you're bucking against God and you make the right decision, peace of God comes. In this case, man, when everything ended, uh, I, I didn't feel great about it. I was disappointed. I was hurt. And, and what, I, what I learned from this, and there's moments where God will allow you to, to get this, but, but what I learned from that relationship was this, is that disobedience comes with a price. Are you all hearing me? That disobedience comes with a price. And, and there's times, and, and, and you may argue with this, and that's fine, but I think there's times that God will let us feel the burn for a bit. Because, because we need to feel the pain for something so the next time it comes around we say, no, thank you. Are you all with me on that? And, and you know, from, from that, I learned some no thank yous. I definitely learned some no thank yous. <laughs> so let's kind of get to the main point. I'm saying all that to kind of get here today. This is the understanding that I came to. During that season of my life, I was... Failing a very, very, very important test. Somebody say test. Listen, it's, it's a test that every Christian will face at some point, uh, maybe even many times. And, uh, you know, I'll say this. The situation, the circumstances, the scenario, the people involved, all those things will look different. But the heart of the thing is the same. And the test is, is this. It's the test of obedience. It's the test of obedience. So if we're aware of not, listen, God, God's pleasure, God being pleased with us or not pleased with us is directly linked to our obedience. Y'all okay with this? It's directly linked to our obedience. So I, I do want to make something clear to kind of maybe bring, bring a little balance to this. Because the last thing I, do, I want to see happen is somebody hear what we're talking about today and, and run to legalism. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, we're all going to make mistakes. Yes, we're all, we're all going to do it, okay? Uh, you know, Jen made some this morning. And um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I made some this morning. <laughs> I love you. So anyways, um, just trying to see if you're awake. But anyways, so um, what, what we're talking about here is we're talking about the condition of our hearts. That's really what we're talking about. That's where, that's where it really boils down. It's the condition of our hearts. And, and it's this. Am I, am I listening to what the Spirit of God is saying to me? Am I, and am I coming in agreement with what he's saying? Or am I hearing it and going, ah, I'm good? Because we do that. And by we, I mean me too. You all right? All right, so what is the test of obedience? throw it up here for you. The test of obedience happens when a person realizes God is asking him or her to do something that is contrary to his or her own plans or desires. Has God ever asked you basically to do something and you had something different in mind? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, um, 
let me just kind of give you a few thoughts here on this, okay? Um, what's sometimes hard, and, and this is what's, where I'm struggling, I think, in this thing, because I'm about to go in about five different directions, and so if it's for you, grab it. If not, just let it fly by you, all right? But, but what's sometimes hard for us when it comes to the test of obedience is at times, like Abraham, and this isn't sin, okay, but, but God will ask us to sacrifice even good and appropriate things. Are you hearing me with that? That he'll ask us to sacrifice even good and appropriate things. He will sometimes even ask us to do something for him, and he'll give us no logical reason for it at all. Hear me. It does happen. Listen, in him not explaining why he is giving you that request, he's doing that on purpose because he's trying to develop a childlike faith in us, and he's trying to also develop an unwavering uh, obedience in us that we are really, really going to need uh, if we're going to uh, fulfill the will of God for our lives. It's going to happen. I, you know, listen, God's asked me to do a lot of things, and he's never told me why. Let, let me even say this to you. He, he has even made me stay in some really, really difficult spots and never told me why. Is that okay? That, that, that you're saying, I'm like, man, God, can I please get out of this? He's like, no. Why? Crickets. <laughs> Come on, man. Right? Anyways. Now, what were some other reasons God would test us with obedience? Throughout the Bible, we see that God does it for several reasons, but I already kind of said this. Uh, one of the reasons why he tests us is because he wants to know, please get this, he wants to know the condition of our hearts. Let, 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 me, let me give it to you in a, in a simple way. We all like to say that we're teachable, we're willing and obedient, that, man, we're good to go, man, we're servants, man, we'll do anything until we want to do something, and somebody tells us that powerful two-letter word, No. And then rebellion pops up. Is that true? That's so true. You, you know, listen, we thought we weren't two years old anymore. There's a two-year-old still living in there. There is, man. I feel him. He rises up sometimes. That's mine, right? I don't want to share. What are you talking about? That's my cupcake. Get off of it, right? So, li- li- listen. Now, the reason God does this is it isn't because, please get this, it's not because he is testing you because he's trying to figure something out about you. He already knows you. The Bible says he knows your heart way better than you'll ever know your heart, right? He does it so why? So we can experience our own heart, so we can see it. You, you know, I don't know about you, but there's, there's days where I have looked in the mirror and it's been ugly looking back at me, right? That could be really taken a really bad way. So my mom says I'm cute. It's all right. Here we go. So, but you get what I'm saying? In other words, the junk that's just in our lives so, anyways, through the test of obedience, God wants to know if we are willing to subject our desires, our thoughts, our feelings, our plans to His will. He wants to know if we're willing to walk in constant submission, uh, get this, to His Word. Now, that is to His written Word, and it's also to the Word that He speaks to you. Are you willing to be in constant submission to that? Uh, because, once again, He is... And this is, this is a part that I think is such a huge problem in the church, not this church, but just the church in general, is we only want Jesus to be Savior, and we don't really want him as Lord. To understand that constant submission means he is Lord, that he is owner of our lives, yes? And if we, if we as the American church could get that down, man, holy smokes, the giant's going to wake up. It will. The giant will wake up. But until we get that, then we'll be who we are, Okay. Um, but but let's, let me maybe, if you haven't heard anything about this, and I know we're just chit-chatting here, but if you haven't heard anything about that I've said already, hear this. This test, the test of obedience, really boils down to this one thing. Get this. 
that, that God is wanting to know, that he is literally asking us with the test of obedience, can I trust you? That's what the test of obedience is really all about. Can I trust you? Can I? So to understand that a test is something that establishes a person's uh, reliability. Can God rely on us? Let me maybe bring it to you like this. If you've ever been there, you say, God, I want to do great things for you. Can he rely on you? Can he trust you? And, and, and here's the thing. If, if you can't trust me with A and B, we'll never get to J, K, and L. And we'll never get down to Z. It ain't going to happen. Right? It, it, it's this. It's like, God, give me a greater anointing. You don't do anything with what you got. Is that okay? So, you know, so kind of in this, it, it's kind of that we, we want to ask ourselves this question. Let's just get our, our minds and our hearts rolling. But, but have we consistently, that's a key word here, consistently stewarded well the things God has entrusted to us? Now, listen, nobody makes it perfect on every day. I'm not talking about perfection, okay? But I am talking about that there's a peace that, man, you're striving. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm so, I'll be careful of the word striving today, but, but that we're going after that part that says, man, um, I want to be a good steward of the, God, of the things God has given me. And so think about this area today as you're kind of asking yourself that. Th- think about your influence that God's given you with people. Have you stewarded that well? The people in your lives, have you stewarded them well? Your job, have you stewarded that well? You, you know, I, I'll just say it flat out. It, it, is, it is ignorance to say, uh, God, give me a promotion when you do your job half-hearted. It's ignorance, right? Be, because you're not being good stewards of what God's already given you. So, so it's kind of like this. Th- think about your possessions. Uh, think about your, your money. You know, I've, I've thought many times... How funny is it go, God, I need a better car, and the one I got looks like it's been to hell and back because I won't clean it. I'm talking to myself. I hate cleaning a car, right? So I'm not asking for another one, all right? So, but, but, but I think about this, that when you say, God, give us more money, watch this, and this is going to hurt, but, but, but this is truth, okay? Is if I don't tithe, then I haven't stewarded the money well that God has given me. So, so once again, I will say this, it is ignorance, to ask God to bless you with more. Is that okay to say that? So, so li- listen, I, you know, I, I am definitely not one of those guys that's after money, ever. Ever, 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 ever. But I understand the kingdom principle. And, and sometimes I just shake my head at people that want to be Christians, but yet they're so stingy. And we're supposed to be the most giving people in the world, right? When we give our money to this church... It's to God. And, and you know, well, what are they going to do with it? I Look at us. I don't think we're flashy. <laughs> so once again, influence people, jobs, possessions, money. Have we been obedient in those areas? So listen to this verse here. It says this in Luke uh, 16.10. It says, whoever can be, what's that next word? Come on, y'all wake up. I ain't beating you that bad. What's the next word? Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So listen, I'm convinced that here's God, that, that he says, you know, listen, that, that I'll say it this way, that at every season where he says, you know what, I, I want to bless them with more, that there's a test of obedience attached to it. In other words, before he releases more to us, he wants to see what we're already doing, what he's given us. Fair enough? And, and right there, because he wants to know, are you, are you, are you, are you handling it? 
right? You, you know, like I read this story one time, and I shared it in a class, and I'm not going to get my numbers right at all. Um, but there was a guy, if I remember correctly, it was an old businessman. I think he's from Alabama. And, and he made, I want to say he made $19 a week. Big money. And he decided, I think it was to, to give to God. I want to say, let's just keep it safe. I want to say it was 50%. I think it was actually a lot more than that. But he was going to give 50% of his income to God. So he gave his $9.50 or whatever it is to God every month. Progressing through the years, the guy is now a, a multimillionaire, still gives 50% to God. Why? Because he showed he could be trusted with little, and so God you know, basically gave him a lot. Amen? Because what happens is, is he became a greater, a greater gift to the kingdom in his giving. Yes? All right. Y'all okay? All right. So let's shift gears for a minute. And if you think it's been convoluted so far, it's going to get even, even more here. All right? So I, I want to look at a scripture today, and, and uh, it's a scripture that I was just reading. I don't know, about, about two weeks ago I was reading this, and it just grabbed my heart. And, and I want to share it with you, okay? And just some, we'll, we'll read it, and I'll kind of sling some thoughts out at you. But it, it's a really well-known portion of Scripture. It's, uh, it's 1 Samuel chapter 15. As soon as we go there, a majority of the room is going to go, I know exactly what happened there. Awesome. That means you're ahead of the game. You're doing good, okay? So, but what I, what I want you to see is I want, to, I want you to see a man uh, that failed the test of obedience. And the reason I want you to see that is because I want us to learn from it. Now, if you're, the, if you're a type person here goes, well, give me somebody that passed it. Go look at Jesus. Read the Gospels. All right? Uh, he nailed it. Okay? He got it right. Uh, but, but I want to show you a guy that didn't get it right so we can hopefully not fall in the same traps. Y'all awake? All right. So let's kind of set it up. Uh, the, the, we're going to see a few people here. The first guy is going to be named Samuel. And uh, Samuel, we know that was a prophet. He was a priest. The Bible also calls him a judge. And, and this guy was basically the, uh, the spiritual voice, the spiritual conscience, the spiritual leader of the nation of Israel. I mean, this guy, th- think about it this way. The Bible says that every word that he spoke, that not one fell to the ground. In other words, it hit the target in people's hearts. Every preacher wishes they had that anointing. Okay? So the next guy we're going to see is a guy named Saul. Saul, we know, was the first king of Israel. Uh, you, you know, we could go into the whole fact that his dad lost a donkey, ran and got it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Samuel anointed him and, uh, and basically turned into a different man, all those things. Uh, the next group we're going to see is the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites were basically descendants of Esau. That's Jacob's brother. Now, these guys were, uh, they were a nomadic tribe. You got to get this because uh, it kind of brings some context what we're about to read. Uh, but these guys had a reputation of attacking travelers. And they didn't just, you know, they weren't the kind of guys that had a lot of courage and they would attack it head on. Uh, they always went to the back of the line where, the, where there was the stragglers, where it was the weak, the sick, the elderly and all them. And that's where they attacked them. Okay, so people basically uh, hated them for that, other nations. In, in fact, um, basically, if you, if you study all that out, the name Amalekites became synonymous with evil corruption and wickedness. And so this passage that we're about to read, God is about to let them reap what they sowed. Okay, and then lastly, there is a guy named, is their leader, is a guy that went by the, the, the name Agag. And uh, it's believed this, kind of check this out, that Agag is not actually the fellow's name. Okay, it's actually a, a royal title that was given to the leader of the Malachites. So just as we would see Pharaoh with the Egyptians or we see Caesar with the Romans, Agag was this guy that carried that kind of clout. Okay, and, and Agag actually means this, it means high 
one thing means violent. The other name, you know, you look up old Bible names, give you all kinds of different stuff, but violent. And then there was another one that said uh, roof. And then there was another one that said high. And the one high is actually proven through a scripture out of numbers, so we're going to stick with that. Uh, but here was the goal that they were trying to make with giving uh, this guy this name. They were saying that he uh, basically uh, high, but it, right there it says to convey that their king would be higher than high. So in other words, out of all the other kings in the world, this guy was better than all of them. Are you all with me? If you wouldn't say, oh, yeah. All right, so let's dive in there to 1 Samuel fifteen thirty one. Let's see what will land for us today. All right, here we go. It says, One day Samuel said to Saul, It was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Get this. So basically Saul rolls up and he says, Hey, man, look, God's trying to remind you that he's the one that anointed you as king. And he anointed you as the leader. And I just want to tell you today, because you can say, What in the world does it have to do with us? What's the significance of that? Uh, I want you to know that like Saul, every one of us in this room have been called and anointed uh, for a purpose that fits the master purpose of God. Yes? And so to understand this today, please, because you've got to get this to your thinking, we're all leaders. We're all leaders. So why do you say that, Pastor? Because y'all are definitely not believing me here. Uh, is because this. Uh, is because the basic level of leadership is not running a Fortune 500 company. The, the, the basis of leadership is one word, influence. And every person in this room has influence with someone, okay? If it's with your spouse or if it's with uh, your children or if it's a a kid that's here that that goes to school, uh, we we all operate in our influence. You use your influence and your leadership when you came in here today. Are are y'all following me there, okay? So every person has it, okay? So don't don't count yourself out of this, okay? So, So here's how it goes on. It says that Samuel said to Saul, now listen to the message from the Lord. Says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. He said, This, I have decided to settle accounts. Somebody say, Settle accounts with the nation of Amalek. And then it says, For opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. In other words, for attacking our scragglers, right? It says, Now go and completely destroy. Somebody say, Completely destroy. Don't fade on me, all right? So now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. In other words, if it breathes, kill it. All right? So I want you to know today that this right here, that if we like it or not, there will be seasons in our life where God will say, enough is enough. You can't go any further with that still in your life. It has opposed my spirit and has opposed my will for your life far too long, and today we've got to deal with it. Is that all right? So remember this. We said that the test of obedience does this. Test of obedience happens when a person realizes God is asking him or her to do something that contradicts his or her own plans or desires. I will say it really clear. Not a single person in this room likes to change. So the bottom line, when God shows up knocking at your heart's door saying it's time to change, guess what? That is against our will. And a test of obedience starts to take place. Yes? And how we respond to that test of obedience determines ultimately if we please God or not. Watch this. So if we continue the story, we see that um, Saul mobilizes 210,000 troops, and he goes and attacks the Malachites. Looking good, really, really, really good so far. But, but here's where the test of obedience really begins. And if you can grab a hold of this statement, it would be good. Um, Because it didn't last. The reason is because we all know it all sounds good in theory, right? Change, obedience, all of that sounds great and spiritual until the sword begins to cut away the flesh. Y'all with me? Until the sword (laughs) begins to cut away the flesh, then then it ain't Captain Fun in the house anymore. It's not not exciting, right? So let's keep reading. Here we go in verse 7. It says, then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to shore, east of Egypt. He captured Agag. Somebody say he captured Agag. Captured Agag. 
Come on, y'all, stay with me. The Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else, men, women, and children. All right? Verse 9. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs. Watch this. Everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Now, is that what God commanded Saul to do? No, absolutely not. It, it was what we call partial obedience. And, and what we're going to see here is here's a guy, guess what? He had 95% obedience. The math's probably not right, but you got it. 95% obedience. And here's this 5% disobedience of keeping Agag alive and keeping uh, what they liked as far as the sheep and the cattle and all that alive. And, and what we find out, though, through this is that that 5% disobedience in that test, revealed more about Saul's heart than the 95% obedience did. Are you getting that? Take that personal, that that 5% disobedience reveals more of our hearts than the 95% does. Now watch this, and this is actually the main reason why I want to talk about anything today is what the question I'm going to ask you in a second. But for some reason, Saul considered or thought that Agag, the one whose name means higher, then high, watch this, was greater than the voice of the Most High God. Oh, hear me. Now, why would I say that? Because he, because he elevated or he valued Agag more than he valued the voice of the Lord. So, listen, anytime you and I put anything in our lives above God, guess what? We're, say, we're telling God that it's greater than him. Is that true? That has more significance to us. All right, so here's the question that everything of this whole message came out of is what are the Agags in our lives that we have allowed to live and hang around for far too long? Y'all follow me today. What are the Agags, what are the things in our lives that we allowed to hang around too long? Now listen, I am tempted to give you a list of things, but I'm hesitant to give you a list of things because I want the Holy Ghost to talk to you. Because here's, here's the fact, is, is here's what I've learned about God. And I hate this sometimes. I'll be honest, I hate it. Because I'll go, I'll ask the Lord a question. I've told you all this a hundred times. But I'll ask the Lord a question, and the first thing comes to me, I go, ah, that's not it. But that's it. So, so, so when the preacher man says, what Agags have you allowed to live and hang around for far too long, whatever that first thing came, that's it. That's it. So I don't need to mention it to you, okay? Are you all following me today? But I do want to say this with this. When we come to Jesus, okay, because most of us in the room have, when we come to Jesus, it is easy, 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 easy to hand him that which we think is worthless. Is it not? To understand, but the test of obedience bus rolls into town because why? Because it wants to collect that thing that we value more than we really should. Right? So, so, so when the Holy Ghost comes and, and he begins to talk to you, it's because he is after something that you're valuing more than you should, gang. And God's saying, hey, can you give it to me? But, but you've you got to understand the heart of God in this. He doesn't just say, give it to me to mess with. He says, give it to me because he's 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. And he says, look, this is what I have for your life, and this thing is holding you up. Are you following me, guys? All right, so what was God's response to Saul's choice? Look at verse 10. It says, And the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry, get this, the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. 
I, I got one simple comment for that. I don't ever, 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 ever want God to regret trusting me with an opportunity in his kingdom. Skip down to verse 13. When Samuel finally found him, get that, in other words, when he finally made his way and he, and he, and he found Samuel, uh, when he found Saul, sorry, it says, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's commandment. I've done it, right? It's like, man, this, as this guy is trying to convince himself that he did the right thing, we've all done that, right? Trying to convince himself, pat himself on the back, man, I nailed it, I did great. It, it's almost like somebody queued up the farm animals, because verse 14 says, Samuel said this, then what is all the bleeding of sheep and the goats and the lowing of cattle I hear? They told on him, right? <laughs> and then it says in verse 15, this is Saul talking. It's true that the army, y'all get that, that the army, who is the leader? Who's the leader in your life? You, all right? So you know. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle. And, uh, you know, I'll just say this, uh, very obvious. He blamed someone else for his disobedience. And, you know, I, I, get, I just got a question here. Why do we tend to do that? We all do it, right? Yes? So, li- listen, it, it's almost like this. Imagine if someone confronts an issue in your life. Automatically, majority of us don't go, yep, that's me. I, it's, it's, on my, it's on me. I own it. If they wouldn't have did that to me when I was 15, I wouldn't have. You pass the blame. Right? So, so you, know, you know, I tell my kid, listen, we all do. I so do that. You, you, know, you know, yesterday Jude run, runs in, right? He runs in and he, tattle, he tattletales on one of his brothers, okay? They did this, right? And because, no, 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 scratch that. It's not what happened. Uh, I was outside working on this. I heard from the inside, we have a loud house. Uh, I, I, I heard Jude screaming at his brother, Luke, hollering. He was mad, right? And so Jen, Jen sent him to me. I'm trying to have a spiritual moment here. And you're sending me the, the four-year-old, right? And automatically he says this. And he's all crying, but he's mad. And he says this. Well, Luke did da 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 No, son. Luke cannot make you angry. Do you understand that? So-and-so cannot make you offended. So-and-so cannot hurt you. It's what you do with it. Are you all hearing me? Yes? Come on, y'all. Don't, y'all looking at me like I'm... Let me move on. I am being nice. Anyways, here we go. So, so why do we all always want to blame a person or a situation for our agags? Why do we want to do that? Why do we deflect? Why do we make excuses of why it's okay for us not to obey fully? <laughs> Listen to what... Uh, Saul pulls out of his hat next, and we're going to hustle up here. Verse 15, second part. says, but they are going to sacrifice. Get this. But, but Samuel, they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God. Get that. Your God. We have destroyed everything else. Right? <laughs> Is that not brilliant or what? L- listen, he spiritualized his disobedience. Let me give it to you like I get it, Okay. Like I hear it. Well, you know, pastor, this is just a thorn in the flesh. No, it's just sin. Right? It, it, I'm a, you, know, you know, pastor, the Lord's been using this for years just to teach me blah, 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 blah. No, it's a nagag in your life. I'm smiling at you. Verse 16, here we go. 
Then Samuel said to, to Saul, stop. Just stop it, dude. L- listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked? And Samuel said to him, or told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. I just want to make a point here. It is really time that we quit thinking little about ourselves. Right? The king of the universe lives inside of us. He's called us to do great things. Yes? So, so here, here's what I've noticed when we think too little of ourselves. Everybody look at me, please. Come on, don't run away from me at this moment because it hurts. All right? So here's what I've noticed. When, when, when we think of ourselves too little and we don't think of ourselves the way God sees us, we don't see ourselves as leaders, here's what we do is we begin to put a different standard on other people than, we, than what we had put on ourselves. Make sense? In other words, somebody else we view, oh, well, well they're a leader. We expect this from them. Me, I'm not a leader. I think little of myself, so I don't need to do that. We're all called to holiness. Amen? Amen? Just a thought. Moving on. Here we go. All right, 18. Verse 18. It says, And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder? Get this. Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? In other words, it's, it's really this, what Saul's at, Samuel's asking him. Why is it that you sometimes think your way is better than his? We all do it. Why do you think your way is better than his? It's kind of like this. When I was in that relationship with that girl, I thought that I could pick a better one than what God would pick for me. I did not. Okay? Are you all following me? It's, it's like a better job, a better whatever. It's like, man, God, God's, God knows what he's doing, y'all. He's all knowing for a reason, right? All right. So it says this, verse 20 says, But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. No, you carried out the part you wanted to carry out, right? So I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. It's like, dude, are you stupid? You you know, I love what Pastor Brian says. He says, how stupid can you be and still breathe? I love that (laughs) statement, right? That is where Saul's at at this moment. It's like he's telling what's up, and then he it's like, Anybody home, man? Anybody home? All right, verse 21. It says, this way it says, Then my troops, or the, the, the people, brought in the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, and the plunder to sacrifice to the Lord, once again, your God in Gilgal. Verse 22 says, But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your what? Obedience, obedience to his voice. It says, Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than the offering of fat of rams. Let me bring that to modern day terms. That God cares more about our obedience than our church attendance. That he cares more about our obedience than he does even our, even our giving. He cares more about it than our witnessing, our praying, our reading the Bible. Obviously, are all those things good? Yes. Do we need to stop doing them? No. But, but here's the thing. God is saying, look, um, man, I just want you to be obedient. It's kind of like this of why, why is God saying all this? It's because he's a father that wants to be pleased with his children. Right? I, I mean, I mean let, let's get practical here for a minute. If your son or your daughter isn't living up to what you know that they can live up to, is it wrong for you in your heart to go, man, I just wish you had fixed that? And then why? Because in my heart, I want to just be pleased with you all the way. I just want to make you right, right choice. I want you to see you do well. I want to see you be healthy. All those, are, are y'all following me? He's a good dad. That's why the motive is still right in all this. And then it says in, in verse 24, it says, Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. 
finally, right? He says, I've disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. Now we get down to where the rubber meets the road in the test of obedience. He says, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. Wow. Starts off the verse, I've anointed you to be the leader. And now the leader is being led by other people in the wrong direction. And so if I can maybe make one statement. um, The fear of man is one of the greatest obstacles that we'll ever come against when it comes to the test of obedience. Because there's that thing inside of us that wants to be approved of and accepted by people. Are you all with me? So, So write this down. If you haven't wrote anything down today, write this down. It's very simple, that we will serve what we fear. That we will serve what we fear. You know, let me give you maybe a really poor analogy here. The first thing that really, that's the thing that keeps popping up my mind in this, okay, is, is the spirit of poverty. Okay? The spirit of poverty. And basically, poverty is... Poverty is not having, it's not not having enough. Poverty is the fear of never having enough. Are y'all tracking with me? So, so, you know, a lot of times when we grow up and we don't have much, then when we get older, we begin to serve money because we're so afraid of not having any. Are y'all following me? I mean, that can, that can wrap itself up in a thousand different ways. But, 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 man, that's a legitimate thing. So, you know, just I'm saying that because I don't want you to think just people here. There's all kinds of things that motivate our hearts uh, that cause us to not be obedient to the Lord. Is that all right? I mean, let, let, me, let me maybe, here, let me give you one. Just pop my head. We can go overboard in materialism and fashion and all of those things because maybe when we were in the... 10th grade, somebody laughed at us because our mama made our clothes, right? And so now we're still at the age of 45, still trying to overcompensate, 50 years old, trying to overcompensate for something that was happening all those years ago. Are y'all following me? And so we take it overboard and we begin to serve that thing instead of just saying, God, you know, just carry yourself with excellence and it is what it is, right? Um, I, I, re- I remember, you know, the scripture there is in Matthew chapter 6. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That portion of scripture is talking about food and clothes. That's what it's talking about in context. And, and, and I remember um, the Lord basically said, it's like, you, you, you don't, he told me one day, you don't fear not having clothes. You fear not having the right clothes. Last thing, and then we're going to be done. Here we go. This is, this is really where, where the apex moment comes in all of this. In verse 32, it says this. Then Samuel said, bring King Agag to me. Agag arrived full of hope, for he thought, surely the worst is over and I have been spared. But Samuel said, as your sword has killed the sons of many mothers, now your mother will be childless. And Samuel cut Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. To understand this, everybody, here's the simple point I want to make from this is that because of one man's disobedience, another man had to do the job. The priest and the prophet had to do what the king was called to do. Are y'all following me here? So let, let, me, let me give it to you like this. Because it, there, there is a real thing where we don't step up and we don't obey. Well, God, And I don't understand all this theologically at all, but God will, God will move past you and he'll go take another person. 
Okay? I'm going to give you two stories real quick. One I wasn't planning on saying, one I was. Let me say the one that I wasn't planning on before I forget. Okay? There's a guy that has a, uh, a ministry. He's in uh, Oklahoma now, powerful ministry. I'm like, you, you know, uh, I'll, I'll give you one, one thing that happened in his ministry. Pastor Brian was there. And a few other of my friends were there, like five or six people that were there. But this guy uh, went to go pray for this uh, woman. She was, I think she was 18 years old, young lady. So basically her head and her torso were the normal size of an 18-year-old person. The arms and the legs were like little kid arms and legs. And, and they sit there and watch as this guy that I'm about to talk about laid hands on uh, this, uh, this girl. And they watched her arms and legs grow out to a normal size human beings of her age. Pretty awesome, right? Uh, so I remember, you know, I can, you know, I remember watching this video actually online of him, and, and this person got up, and they're walking like this, and they've got like all these crutches and stuff, and he, and he basically lay hands on him, and he backs up, and man, you can just tell he just, poof, Spirit of God hits him, and he prays for that person, and that person throws the crutches and goes freaking crazy. And then the whole place went nuts. As because as, why? Because everybody knew who it was. They should, right? So, so I, you know, remember sitting there. Um, uh, anyways, uh, we call him Uncle Jeff. Pastor Jeff was sitting there, and uh, this little kid had basically like these big splotches of red stuff all up their arms, where they're broken out with a rash. He just watched this guy. They were sitting there eating dinner. Somebody said, hey, "Can you pray?" He laid hands on this kid, and he watched it all disappear like that. All right. So watch this. Here's what sparked him into the ministry. Okay, he was he was living in Oregon, and he was a pulp wood cutter. Okay, so he worked with wood. So what he, he worked at sawmill, whatever. Okay, and so uh, one morning when he woke up, he actually woke up into an open vision. In other words, it wasn't just some picture screen he was seeing. He was actually there in in the vision involved in it. And when he woke up, basically he was sitting on the second row of a large auditorium, and uh, basically there was just people leading worship, and he said it was just um, amazing worship. And then basically the worship ended and a person came out to transition to introduce the speaker. And they went, and now so-and-so. And he went to go stand up and they called a woman's name. And a woman walked out on the platform and, and basically uh, began to minister. There was people there in the wheelchairs and all of them got out of the wheelchairs. And God healed him. And he said he sat there the whole time and watched this vision. And he knew the whole time, and that's supposed to be my, my ministry. And so he sat there basically until his wife, Rosalita, woke up and he said this. He said, basically, sink or swim, hell in high water, uh, living under trees, dressing kids in gummy slacks. We are going into the ministry. Right? And he answered the call because the Lord actually, what happened, let me go back. That's what happens when we weren't planning on saying something. Uh, basically, at the end, after all those people got healed, uh, everything kind of went, and it was the woman and, the, and him sitting on the front row, and she said this, the reason I'm doing this is because some of you men didn't answer the call. And that's when he woke up. There you go. And then that's why he said what he said, okay? So, um, so the principle there is, is here's a guy that knew, that knew, that knew, that knew, that knew what he was supposed to do, but refused to get a gag out of his life. And his biggest a gag was religion, by the way. And uh, basically, not until he got free of that thing did he launch out to what he was supposed to do. And let me go more home, more personal, what I know. The church I worked at in North Carolina, uh, I, I was there, uh, this was years and years ago, probably 15 years ago, I'm guessing, maybe more than that. I think I was there. It was, it was around by the time I was there. Pastor, I'll preach. And you understand this church started with 12 people in a living room, okay? 12, no, scratch that. 12 people in a cleaning closet, 
That's where it started, in a cleaning closet. And now it's like, whatever, several thousand people, okay? So, um, so basically went from the cleaning closet to a shopping center on the rough, rough, rough side of town. And then they went and bought this uh, 17 acres, and now it's almost 100, I think, of what we own there. And, and they end up building the church, okay? So watch this. So when they were at that time in the 500-seat auditorium, now there's a 2,000-seat auditorium. But in the 5,000-seat auditorium, uh, basically pastor out did an altar call one day. He saw this guy come from his left walking up to him, and the guy was holding some plans, building plans, and he was weeping. And pastor came down and started talking to him. Long story short, he showed him, he said, X, whatever, this year God spoke to me and told me I was supposed to pastor a church. This was the name. This was the building. Showed the blueprints. It was the exact building that we were in. Do you get that? that? But he said, because I was scared, I did not answer the call. So, once again, I don't get it theologically, but God spoke to our pastor that was in Dallas and, and one of the largest churches in the nation at the time and said, it's time to go. And he, and he left from an 8,000-member church to 12 people in a closet. <laughs> wow, huh? T- telling you that God will tell you to do things sometimes you don't understand, right? So here's the, here's the point, and we'll end. In fact, you can stand to your feet. It's good. What's the main reason we want to obey? I'll just end on that note. It's because we don't want someone else to have to do what we were called to do. Plain simple, yeah? Can I pray for you? If you can, just close your eyes. And if there's anything here that just kind of spoke to you, just lift both hands to the Lord. Say this with me. Say, Father, I want to obey all the way. Father, I just pray for your people today, God, even myself, God, that we don't want to be people that just live in 95% obedience. And, Lord, uh, just let the 5% of disobedience hang around. God, today I'm asking in the name of Jesus uh, that you, by your grace, would take your sword and you begin to chop to pieces the Agags in our life. God, I pray today, God, that you would free us of that of which we've clung to for so long and so lord whatever we need to release to you god today we release it to you in jesus name and lord we pray for just 100 percent obedience 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 because god we want to be a people god that just trust you god that we trust you and all of that god we want to be people that you can trust and so lord today just get down deep in our heart god whatever we need to repent of let us repent and god let us move forward in you and so lord thank you for your grace and your mercy that be willing to 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 poke at something that needs to be poked at today God, so we can be set free. And so, Lord, I just bless your people today. God, I pray because, Lord, it's yes, it's in this moment, but it's also what we do beyond this moment. God, of whatever we need to uh, walk away from, God, that we would walk away from it. And, Lord, that we would just, uh, whatever you say do, that we would do it, that we would give you our thoughts, our desires, all of those things. God, it's yours. And so, Lord, we just honor you today, and we bless you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.